my mom. Welcome back to the Interesting Podcast, where we know a little about a lot. We are your fabulous hosts. I'm Annika. And I'm Paige. Welcome. I almost said I was Elizabeth. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. I think I've been, so I've come into this new habit of calling all of my roommates their, like, long-winded, like, beautiful names, because everyone in the house has one except me. <laughs> you and just have a one-syllable name. I do. It's so sad. My last name. It's not a sad name. It's just... It's just quick. It's good, though, because then you don't get stupid nicknames. I, I mean, that's true, I guess. But yeah, we have, like, Alexandra, Elizabeth, Gabriella. Our new roommate is Alexis. I'm like, Paige. 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 You have Annika. It's nice and long. I'm never, like, when I give, when I have a child, they're going to have a pretty long name. Sorry, future child. Six syllables. Yeah. My mom was like that, though, so my mom's mom's name is Joyce and she didn't like it so her name is like Allison Whitney Weaver but anyways there's a nice brief history of my family's names I was (laughs) named Annika and not Nancy were you gonna be named Nancy well my mom is third generation Nancy so everyone thought that I was gonna be fourth generation Nancy oh my gosh was that like a plan until the the day you were born or did your mom ixnay that before she ixnayed that way before Good job, Nancy. Yeah. It's so funny. It is. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the name Nancy other than, like, I've never seen a baby with the name Nancy. I know. I can't imagine just seeing an infant in the stroller and asking what their name is. It's Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, she already wants to see a manager. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, no, my, my great-grandmother was very upset by it. Oh, no. Yeah. And when she asked what my name was, my mom said Annika, and she thought my mom said Hanukkah. <laughs> she was like, you aren't even Jewish. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I respect the faith, Grandma. Gosh. Nancy the First, keeping it real. Right. Well, speaking of faith, I mean, this is kind of a weird stretch, but here we are. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Our episode today is about what, Annika? Moral panics. Yes, moral panics, mass panics, sort of these weird fixations that take hold of our nation and others as well. I mean, mine know mine drips into Britain a little bit. Mine started in Russia, so. Ah, see, there you go. But I actually, I wrote down Wikipedia's definition of a moral panic. Oh, go for it. So a moral panic is a feeling of fear spread among a large number of people that some evil threatens the well-being of society. And a dictionary of sociology defines a moral panic as the process of arousing social concern over an issue, usually the work of moral entrepreneurs and the mass media. What is a moral entrepreneur is what I need to know. Moral entrepreneur. Like, put that on your resume. I feel like a moral entrepreneur is like a preacher of like a super church you know like they're preachers and they're like supposed to be spreading gospel but they also make like millions of dollars so i clicked on it it says a moral entrepreneur is an individual group or formal organization that seeks to influence a group to adopt or maintain a norm moral entrepreneurs are those who take the lead in labeling a particular behavior and spreading or popularizing this label through throughout society I guess that makes sense because in mine, it sort of like all kind of starts with like these now discredited therapists who take these like false memories and write a book and essentially try to capitalize on this like already sort of small fear within the United States. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, way to go. Yeah. I feel like a lot of moral panics don't really shape out to be what everybody was panicking about in the first place. Of course, yeah. I feel like most of them end up widely discredited. I mean, as an so if you need like an example, we are thinking of like Y2K and swine flu. Now that we aren't covering these topics, but like those are panics that happen that essentially become discredited. They become they are all for nothing. Yeah, like Ebola. Ebola, yeah. Which that was definitely like a, a huge issue in Africa, but. Mm-hmm. The panic here in the U.S., especially, like, when the Ebola plane was in Denver. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yes, I remember. Yeah, everyone freaks out. And I get it. Like, that's an unbelievably horrible way to die. And so 
you like should be afraid of it but um i mean like people were like telling them that they should turn away these like poor victims because so, they don't want Ebola here and i'm like that's like that's like who are you to say that your life is like you're you may be getting this illness is worth more than somebody who's actually dying right and then the media does this does such a wonderful job of creating panic and I just remember when the whole Ebola thing started happening, my Mm. ex was in uh, Liberia, which is where it started, and because he was working for with the Peace Corps, Mm -hmm. and like I would, he would call me every now and then from Africa and just like update me, and Mm. so he told me like, oh yeah, this virus Ebola is going around and. They aren't, like, too concerned. They've just told us, like, if you see a body, stay away from it. Don't touch it. That kind of a thing. And so it's, like, I feel like somebody who was in the mix of it all over there, I mean, they eventually had to send all of the Peace Corps volunteers back home just because it got too dangerous. But Yeah. And I'm sure another contributing factor of sending them home, though, was, like, the mass hysteria that was happening here. And, like, should one of them have contracted it, they would want to be the, like, one place that didn't send them home. Right. That's exactly it. But just, like, hearing him being in Liberia, like, where this was all happening and, like, how calm he was versus the media and the people's reaction here at home was just – it was night and day. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So for our interesting of the week, um, let's discuss – what do you think the next moral panic is going to be? I mean, like, the one that we're definitely living in right now is sort of the fear of fake news, and especially because it's now so easily spreadable with social platforms. That's such a good Um, point. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know if there's, like, a day that goes by that I don't hear about, like, quote, quote, fake news, which is honestly a term that I loathe entirely. But it's so, it's so true, though. And I think we loathe it just because of how it was coined. But it's, it's totally, it's definitely a thing that we are experiencing right now. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's, like, I, I just hate that, like, you know, where it was coined was obviously, like, from our president, and, but the fact that he calls, like, fake news on very credible news sources is, like, what drives me crazy when there, like, really is fake news out there that are by horribly discredited if, like, not, they're not even real news sources. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I do see where you're coming from with the whole fake news thing. I think... The next moral panic, well, here, let me back up. I think fake news is going to be the catalyst of whatever the next moral panic is. Because, like, I feel like we're heading down this path where social media is just, like, this tinderbox of sharing semi-factual information, like, not doing Mm -hmm. your own research. Mm -hmm. I think, okay, there needs to be a questionnaire attached to every single post button on all Twitter, Facebook, everything, that asks you, like, what news sources did you read before you decided that you were going to post this? And how in-depth did you research this? Or did you even read it at all? Or did you just read the headline? Yeah. That's, like, a big thing. Yeah. So I think in the political sense, I could see moral panics arising just from, like, our two-party system, it's failing us, you know? Oh, it's horrible. I mean, that and the fact that lobbyists exist is just, like, making everything so horrible and un-American in general. Right. It was funny because Mike, he was on the road the other day, and he ended up at a bar and just started chatting to uh, chatting with these two people that were sitting next to him at the bar and found yeah. out that they were lobbyists. And uh, he asked them how they can sleep at night. Well, no, but it was it was funny because he started to ask them a question that was like, how do you guys and the guy interrupted him and was like, what, sleep at night? (laughs) 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 They were shit talking themselves more than Mike was even thinking it. Yeah. I mean, they're probably just like, I mean, we're profiting off of something that is like legal and shouldn't be. But like, here we are and. I'm not, they're not doing anything illegal, they're which not. is terrifying. Mm-mm. I might cut this, but I did not work as a lobbyist, but I had to mm-hmm. work with a lot of lobbyists since when I worked for the, we, I mean, there was, there was nothing on the legislative floor when I had this job 
Yet mm-hmm. my job entailed me meeting with politicians three times a day, usually breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and sitting with them and talking about trends in the industry and what if any legislation ever popped up in the future about certain things, this is how we'd feel about it and we'd hope you'd be on the same page as us. Oh, and by yeah. the way, here's a here's a check. Um yeah. and it's like it's not a bribe, but to me, it kind of felt that way. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, it's not a bribe in, like, the, you know, the actual definition of a bribe because technically you're not paying anything for a specific agenda or you're not supposed to be. But, like, it, it, it's like walking this, like, really strange gray area where you're, like, these are, like, our concerns and, like, these are, like, just things that, like, we think that you, hope that you keep top of mind. Also, we would love to contribute to your campaign or your reelection or whatever other sort of organization they have or contribute to your company that you own that you'll go back to once you're done in office, just things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was always a campaign contribution or something, and it just – it never felt right. It was, like, back when I did PR, and I don't know if you ever felt this way, but, like, gifting things to reporters Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. always felt so wrong to me. Doing PR in general, like – Honestly, I, like I didn't lose any sleep over it, but it like it made me feel like there was going to be a news disparity between like the haves and the have nots, you know, mm-hmm. people who can afford PR and afford people pushing their agenda in front of these writers who are constantly trying to create content in order to stay relevant, um, as opposed to like these other people, organizations, etc., that have very newsworthy ideals and goals but they don't have the money to sort of push that, move that, like, needle. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I, more, again, it gave me, like, a little bit of faith in journalism and the fact that, like, there were some, there are some journalists that, um, especially travel journalists, but there are some journalists that, like, really were totally down for, like, the free ride from PR perspective. Oh, yeah. But there were a (laughs) lot that, there were, like, a lot that I encountered that, you know, they didn't like PR people, and it, like, sucked for me and my job that they don't like PR people, especially now considering there's, like, five PR people to one actual journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were just, like, no, like, they didn't like being told what to write, and, you know, they'd be, like, polite and be like, yeah, I'll keep this on my file um, for if I ever do something around this topic, but they're not here to be, like, told what what to write and what to put in front of their public. I, I have encountered a lot of journalists, too, who I felt – had a really good moral compass. Yeah. And I mean, even they wouldn't accept any any kind of gift. Even like one time there was a, uh, let's see, I won't name names or anything, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a donut shop that was a client of ours and mm-hmm. they were about to open. It was a big deal. It's a well-known mm-hmm. donut shop and it was coming to Colorado for the first time. I remember this. And... Before they opened, they made a ton of donuts, and one of our jobs was to go around to the different news stations and deliver donuts. And yeah, um, it was ABC that we went to, and we had the donuts for them, and they were like, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna accept these." I was like, "Oh wow, you know what? I respect that. That's funny." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did cannabis PR, and I literally delivered. Like, you're not allowed to, like, provide free cannabis, so I delivered, like, these vouchers for, like, a penny ounce, mm-hmm. um, and literally everyone accepted them, but <laughs> but it's it's just interesting to see, you know, some actual journalists with some good moral integrity, and that's why I feel like that's why you're a journalist and I'm in PR, because you have, like, the moral integrity to realize that you're going to make less money than me, but uh, you, you hold all the power. It's so true. But I agree. I agree, like, that the next, like, mass panic probably will be a byproduct of false news. Right. I mean, that's essentially what mine is, is that, like, it's a byproduct of false accounts of, I mean, should we just say which ones we're doing? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that fake news sort of is, like, a massive contributor to mine, which happens to be the satanic panic of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, which is so massive that we could do literally like a three-parter on. That's um, such a good one. It's, yeah, it's a lot. And what really spearheaded it was the rise of fundamental Christianity as well as um, a lot of 
reports from different, specifically two psychiatrists who claimed to have, like, repressed memories that they brought back of, uh, like, occult uh, sexual abuse and sort of this book being sensationalized and that leading into just so many other things, just tail spinning off of it. So it's, it's just, it's pretty crazy how just, like, a certain, just a claim like this can start and honestly, like, ruin quite a few people's lives. Oh, yeah. That's unreal. <laughs> and then there's the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> it's not even the other end. It's just, like, you know, feeding into, like, the fucked up and that's, and our obsession with it. Yeah, it's true. It's It's definitely feeding into super morbid things and how we are obsessed with it. But it's also, I mean, it does kind of have a fit in the whole fake news outlet as well because um mine i guess i should probably tell you what it is um it's (laughs) the blue whale challenge which i'll get into it it's intense but a this is more of like a 21st century moral panic it's along the lines of like these ridiculous internet challenges that you see teenagers doing these days like a tide pod challenge so stupid it's so stupid (laughs) (laughs) But this one's worse. <laughs> so much worse. I think that it's interesting to see where moral panics are heading after I did mine, just because the internet makes this panic so much more widespread. And it also spreads the idea of doing these really dumb things as well. Yeah, it's so true. It's like, it's almost easier for moral panics to take hold now with vehicles such as social media, YouTube, etc., just able to drive it so much further and like literally further, like geographically further all over the world. Oh yeah. And like you're even seeing it with public health too, which like Yeah. This could totally be the next moral panic is you're seeing vaccinations in the news oh now because people think that vaccinations lead to autism, which has been debunked numerous times. Yeah. There's no scientific backing behind it, but they're still able to spread false information online and yep. vulnerable people are taking this information in, not doing mm-hmm. their own research, or if they are doing research, getting it from sources that are not reputable. Yep. And then they start spreading this as well. It's crazy. It just feeds into, like, the human mind appears like it just, like, it wants to, like, fear something. It needs something to, like, not like or to be repulsed by just something and so it just feeds into like our natural ability of wanting to do that and taking it to like you know taking it to the masses we're always just trying to find the meaning of something somewhere right <laughs> that was po- that was poetic you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna put that on a shirt yeah a mug should we start selling merch what do you think yeah cool right away Right away. I mean, we're going to start a greeting card business, so. We are. Get on board. (laughs) (laughs) So. Do you have any, like, trigger alerts you need to put out there right now? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't really have any trigger alerts unless you're, like, you know, like, we do have, like, friends who are a little bit more um, faith-based, which I totally respect. And I'm not, like, making fun of them throughout this. You know, like, everyone just believe what you want to believe. Um, but I'm doing the satanic panic and a lot of it is sort of rooted in, um, fun, like fundamental Christianity and sort of the fear that it wanted to instill in the masses. Um, so again, I'm not making fun of you. Like I'm not trying to, um, it's just, you know, you're just retelling a story. I'm just retelling a story here and, you know, believe what you want to believe. <laughs> I don't even know what I believe, so at least you stand for something. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So um, I got most of my research from a Vox article by Aja Romano um, called The History of the Satanic Panic in the U.S. and so why it's not over yet. And I'll go into that like a little at the end. Um, and then I also obviously Wikipedia because it's Bay. Um, and then like a few <laughs> YouTube videos. I even listened to this like atheist, I not fully all the way through, but this atheist podcast about, um, the satanic panic as well. Um, are you one of them now? You know, I don't really consider myself an atheist. Like, I just feel like I have a little bit too much optimism to be an atheist. Yeah. 
Yeah. But that's okay. Like, again, if that's what you believe, that's what you believe. It's good to believe in something, you know? Exactly. I mean, again, I, I'm agnostic. I have no idea what I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So, as millennials, uh, we are pretty used to secular, non-secular pop culture. And by that, I mean non-religion and religion-based entertainment. So think like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Who didn't have that like read to them as a kid? Me. You didn't? No. You never read it either? Oh my gosh. Maybe it's just me. Like I loved that book when I was little. I tried watching the movie when I was babysitting somebody one time and I just couldn't get into it. Okay. Well that at that point, like you're a little into a little too like you're a little too old. Like my mom read this to my brother and I when we were little, like in bed. Well, Nancy, if you're listening, you messed up. <laughs> my mom would read to us all the time. She was like, The Hobbit and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Allie, feel free to call me and read it to me. <laughs> she's a great read out louder. I'm trash, but she's good. Um, so, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is actually an allegory for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Oh. Um, so, if you watch it uh, all the way through, ever, um, there's like this lion who's, you know, sort of like the savior of everyone, and then he dies and he's resurrected. Um, so it's definitely an allegory for that. Uh, but also versus like non-secular, which is like Harry Potter, the story of like a wizard and it's navigating supernatural powers and overcoming a villain. I had a neighbor growing up, so I love Harry Potter. It's been my addiction forever. Oh, trust me. I have a, par- a portion in here where I'm like, oh, insert lightning bolt tattoo story. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anik and I love Can't Harry wait. Potter so much that we almost got lightning bolt tattoos. And we don't have tattoos. Neither one of us. We're both virgin skin. Yes. And uh, we were going to get one on, get it done on our finger. Uh, her husband, like, traipsed around the strip with us. So we, like, went to this tattoo shop. And we got there. And they're like, yeah, we don't do finger tattoos. And we were like, fuck. So maybe Well, we they are. were going to do it, but it was going to be $100 each. And they were like, it's going to go away in, like, two weeks. Yeah, like, before it even heals. It's going to blow out, and it's going to look like a smudge, and then eventually it's just going to rub off of your fingers. Then we're like, well, maybe we'll get it on your arm, our arm. And they're like, well, we have a $100 minimum. And we wanted them, like, tiny, like an inch, maybe less. And we were like, I'm not paying $100 for a tattoo that I can go, like, to Henderson and get for 20 mm-hmm. So then I was like, it's the sign. It's not supposed to happen. And Annika never forgave me. Never. You know... Part of me just, like, likes going to the gym and being one of the only ones without a tattoo. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people would still think that about you if you had this tattoo. It's true. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, Annika and I love Harry Potter. Um, but sorry, I was going to just say, like, I had this neighbor who um, they were a very, very lovely family, but they were very, very devout Christians. Mm-hmm. And I got really into Harry Potter and I was not allowed to talk about Harry Potter. When I was over there hanging out with them. Which is hysterical because this leads right into what I was going to say next. And I was going to say, now we've all heard whispers of fundamental Christians condemning Harry Potter and tales like it. And we all had that one friend who wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. Yep. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But for the most part, it's part of like, I mean, if you like to nerd out and like have like a lovely hangover day watching nothing but Harry Potter, like Alex and I love to do. Mm -hmm. Just like part of our lives. It's a great story. So in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the whispers of the devil and his disciples being intertwined with everything in pop culture phenomenons, um, like Star Wars to daycare centers and government officials, um, this like whisper was more of an overwhelming scream that couldn't be ignored, and this was called the satanic panic. Oof. Oof. Um, The fear of satanic ritual abuse began its rise alongside the explosion of fundamental Christianity and mass media. So they kind of went hand in hand. In the 70s, the fear of the Manson family mass killings, the publishing of the Satanic Bible, which is honestly a whole bunch of plagiarized material, but whatever, it still threw (laughs) people into a complete tailspin. Um, So the publishing of the Satanic Bible and the release of the exorcists were just a few of the factors that drew the public's eye to Satanism. And these terrifying tales were only exploited further when in, in, the 19, in 1980, there was a book release called Michelle Remembers. 
Um, and it was a scandalous bestseller based on its purported detailing of a childhood filled with occult sexual abuse. Uh, so its co-authors were controversial to say the least. Um, one was psychologist Lawrence Pazder and his wife Michelle Smith. Um, and Michelle Smith was a former patient of Pazder, and he claimed to have regressed her into childhood through hypnosis where he uncovered all these horrible occult sexual abuse that she underwent. This is some MK Ultra shit. Yeah, so it's like some recovered memory stuff, which is a, still a really big contested psychological theory today. Can I ask a um, question real quick? Yeah. Do you know why there was this sudden rise of Christianity around this time? You know, I don't. It's this, It just happened in the 70s. It was like a big boom. It was like a big rise of the evangelical movement. So it's like when people, especially within the South, um, within like the Baptist or within the Bible Belt, were like throwing themselves into religion. And not only religion, but like massive communities of religion, like super churches. This is when they started. Mm, okay. um, it was in the 70s. And so it was just, it, it's just when it, the fundamental Christian really got a resurgence. Because, you know, I would say up until about then, you would largely hear about religion in a sense of like, the orthodox like of catholics um but and you know some like baptist but not so much in like fundamental evangelical christians until around 1970 um and now they're like all over uh, especially like colorado springs jeepers oh yeah 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 so he purportedly helped smith uncover these memories of past abuses at the hands of the church of satan um, despite these two being wildly discredited almost immediately, the U.S. media and Christian groups really grasped onto this book and the details that were inside of it and just used it to grow the fear stronger and really make the public feel like they were in danger. Um, so next I'm going to talk about what I think is sort of the heart of the satanic panic and the craze that it began. There are tons of cases that are similar to this one, but I'd say this one is the biggest. Um, so the Harlot Craze, in my opinion, began in 1983 at a Manhattan Beach, California preschool ran by the McMartin family. Judy Johnson, who was the mother of a schoolgoer and was a known mentally unstable woman, like really mentally unstable. She was hospitalized for acute paranoid schizophrenia a couple years later and also later was found dead due to alcohol abuse. She So the woman had some problems. Sounds like it. Yeah. She accused uh, a one of the preschool employees who happened to be, like, the grandson of the owner. She accused one of the employees of sodomizing her child after he, her child had had a painful bowel movement. Um, it is also oh worth God. noting that she also accused her ex-husband of similar crimes. So okay. she, yeah, it wasn't just an isolated incident, but after the accusi- accusations were brought to the police, the police issued a letter to all the parents of the school asking them to ask their children if they had been assaulted, and it resulted in the interviews of hundreds of children by a local child protective agency. Um, And it threw, like, this essentially community into, like, total crisis mode all of a sudden everyone was freaked out that their kid could have been sexually abused um by their daycare provider so in these interviews which were ran by a woman named key mcfarlane who was an unlicensed psychotherapist children's children's accusations mirrored the emerging satanic ritual abuse panic it was alleged that in addition to having been sexually abused they also saw witches fly they traveled in a hot air balloon, and they were taken through underground tunnels, which honestly just sounds like they're a part of MK Ultra, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, children's imaginations are so wild, and like, you know, if they were suffering abuse, I definitely don't want to discount that, but I think that the yeah. way that... I don't know if there's a good way to go about asking them, but, you know, when they are saying yes to certain things and also saying that they were riding in hot air balloons. You kind of, mm-hmm. like, that throws in so much question. And a big part about this that is noted is that when the most of these children, if not all, were initially asked, they denied that anything had happened to them. 
But then these interviewers continued to press and press until finally these kids started to feel like they were providing the wrong answer. And then so they started to change their answer. And that's when all these weird, like whimsical tales started being told. Um, And so this case definitely actually changed the way that children were interviewed in sex cases, which is good, but it went terribly wrong first. So when shown a series of photographs by Danny Davis, who which who was the McMartin's lawyer, the people who owned the preschool, one child identified actor Chuck Norris as one of the abusers. <laughs> 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 and that child was Ben Stiller. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh my God. This is how rumors get started. Yep. Um, once word of these accusations got out into the mass media, they ran away with theories of satanic occult groups spearheading the abuse and not it not only being at the McMartin school, but it being at daycare centers worldwide. After six years of trials for the McMartins, so there's trials and retrials, no convictions were ever obtained. And many of the interviewees and law enforcement agents involved with the investigation were discredited. Uh, the McMartin case would go down in history as the nation's most expensive trial ever. What? Yeah. While most famous, while the most famous case, this like is the most famous case, it didn't result in any convictions. Many other similar and mostly unfounded cases did pop up throughout the nation, and they, a lot of them did result in convictions. Uh, between 1984 and 1986 especially, uh, the investigation into the mess of claims of satanic ritual abuse would send at least 26 people to jail in the end, despite there being a complete lack of cooperative physical evidence. It's like the Salem witch trials, but modern Exactly. Day. It was like a modern day Salem witch trial. Um, throughout the decade since, many of the people who were convicted have been set free and exonerated, but not everyone. There are still several people that are serving life sentences. The rise in the fear of the occult was not just limited to child sex abuse space either, but it stretched into fear of games such as Dungeons and Dragons and rock music by bands such as Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, etc. But it's also funny because, like, that's a role that these musicians, like, thrived in and really loved. Mm-hmm. It would take to, like, a whole new space. Like, they pretty much didn't put a pentagram on anything. Like, they put it on everything they would touch. And they just really played up this, like, idea that they were, you know, the fringe of society and the occult. But as we all know. It's part of their brand. It's, like, it's not necessarily even, like, a belief that they have. It's just their brand. 100%. Like, I would venture to say that none of them actually thought, like, none of them actually, there were no, none of them were Satanists. They just, like, it was part of their brand and it was working for them, so why not? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Finally, in 1992... The Department of Justice thoroughly debunked the myth of widespread ritualistic satanic sex abuse cults. Um, but but though accusations of satanic motiv- motivated child abuse rituals have pretty much died out in the mid-90s. I mean, this continued into the mid-90s, but it essentially kind of simmered out. There are still some spurts of it today. So a case that this article did bring up that was interesting was the Amanda Knox trial in Italy. I don't know if you've ever, like, researched that or, like, watched documentaries on it, but it's nuts because, essentially, they said that Amanda Knox and her boyfriend, like, murdered her roommate out of, like, during this, like, satanic sex cult, like, ritual. It was crazy bizarre. But they... And that happened only a couple years ago. Yeah. And then... The, um, there's, like, this growing conspiracy theory, which I've actually listened to several podcasts on, about the Omaha child prostitution ring. That's an, that, they also play a lot on, like, satanic ritual abuse of children. So it's not completely gone, um, but it's definitely, the satanic panic is definitely simmered down a little bit. (laughs) And I think, like, I think for, like, the most part, what fed it is, like, the media feeds the fear, and then the fear feeds the media and so it just turns into this like horrible cycle of abuse that's 100 percent what happens with pretty much all of these moral panics it's always fed by the media exactly i mean some people can say the same like a lot of people say the same thing about like mass shootings and how you know the mass stop media naming can, the shooter yeah like stop giving them like making them famous and people will stop wanting to do it to become famous it's so true yeah so and i don't that, understand why people won't do that 
Exactly. I don't understand either. Because it draws, like, people become, like, very intrigued with, like, who these people are and why they did it. And so then it draws viewership. And that viewership is what draws, like, makes them feel more validated in the fact that they're celebritizing. I don't know if that's a word. But these people. Do you ever feel conflicted in that and how... Totally. Because I am interested. Like, why would somebody do it? I'm interested, too. I, like... I don't want to know their names. I don't want them. I don't want these people to be famous in my mind at all. These mm-hmm. mass shooters. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of the coin, I listen to podcasts about serial killers all the time. Exactly. And it's like, exactly. what's what's really the difference? Like, you know, Ted Bundy killed like over 30 women over a long stretch of time. But then there, you know, it was the shooter in Vegas who killed over 50 people. Yeah. And we literally like don't know anything about that, which is still freaky as fuck. But yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, so yeah, that is like a very brief overview of the satanic panic. As I previously mentioned, we could do like a three part, like we could do an episode on every decade of it. Um, but it is like, not that it's right. Not that it's not (laughs) like, not that it's not like all important, but it does get a bit redundant of like these cases of, you know, satanic ritual abuse and people being convicted just essentially with unfounded claims and then eventually exonerated. But yeah. So that is the satanic panic. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You are welcome. Okay. Before I get into mine, I do have a big trigger warning. Yes. Uh, Trigger alert, as we call them here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This does go into self-harm and suicide. So I just want to put that out there. If you need to back out, now's your time to do so. So, Paige. Yes. Could you imagine if the satanic panic happened in the 21st century was like a huge thing nowadays and just all of the Facebook posts that would be shared about it? Yeah. No, it would be weird. I can't imagine what your like Facebook news feed would look like. Oh, it would be awful. Right. It'd be like the 2016 election on steroids. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So, I mean, like we have said countless times, the media have played a huge role in contributing to the spread of moral panics. But now in the 21st century, social media is kind of at the forefront of not only inciting this fear in people, but also in the creation and spread of these panics. And I mean, just like think about all of the quote unquote challenges that you see people doing on YouTube, like the choking game or the cinnamon challenge or like the Tide Pod challenge. Mm -hmm. I think there's one now called a condom challenge that I don't want to look into, but I think it has to do with like snorting a condom up your nose. Oh my God. No. Yeah. Mm hmm. Kids are stupid. Okay. (laughs) They are stupid. (laughs) They'll do anything for four seconds of fame. Yes. And it's not even good fame. It's not good attention, but whatever. No. Whatever. Anyway, so living in the digital age definitely has its perks, but these downfalls that come alongside it can be catastrophic. I mean, just going back to our discussion on fake news, there truly is this problem of spreading misinformation, especially on social media. But it also, the digital age connects vulnerable youth to just some horrific people. Mm-hmm. And, like, some of this could be lighthearted. Like, you'll see a clearly photoshopped picture of Bill Gates holding a sign that says, if you share this post, I'll give you money. Or, yeah. like, people plugging their iPhone charger into an onion thinking that that's going to, like, charge their <laughs> iPhone. Or, like, microwaving it. Just Don't stupid do that. stuff like that. Yeah. So many stupid things. But what I'm going to talk about is much darker, and it caused global panic, and it is the Blue Whale Challenge. Oof. Does that have anything to do with whales? No, I mean, <laughs> the whale, they adopted the whale as their symbol. Okay. And so I think that's just why it was called that. But Weird flex, but okay. Yeah, I think it's because they just look sad. I don't oh, know. Oh my gosh. And apparently whales will intentionally beach themselves. Oh. They say that that kind of aligns with suicide. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so we're just going to get real deep into it. Okay, so uh, this originated in the late, in the late, no, in late 2015 in chat rooms and tech services such as WhatsApp, and young teenagers would fall victim to this 50-day challenge 
where they were instructed to accomplish one task every day by an anonymous administrator. These tasks started relatively innocent, such as stay up all night or watch a scary movie, but then they quickly progressed into something far more sinister, such as carving a whale into your forearm, and finally, the challenge would end on the 50th day with you committing suicide. And at this point, these people are, like, fully in. Like, they've made it this far, and they're at some point, it's like some sort of weird gratification. It's a weird gratification, but also they feel like they have to because this administrator who's been giving them these tasks for the past 50 days has so much information on them and they will threaten them this is a black mirrors episode it is shut up and dance it's one of my favorite black mirror yes yes Mm -hmm. that's essentially it is it's shut up and dance yeah um this 22 year old named alex who played the game he recalled As soon as I opened the link, I started getting instructions from an administrator about tasks I was to do. They first gave me the task of giving out all of my personal details, photographs, mobile number, and email ID. So a a lot of these kids, I mean, they are, it's at their core, they are kids, um, were targeted. They were tricked into giving them a lot of information about themselves. These people know, like these administrators know where they live, where their families live. And when you have so much information like that and you can hold it over somebody and say like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt your family. So you kind of feel forced into this. Mm -hmm. Most of the info that I got on the Blue Whale Challenge, I got from a BBC article by Anne Adeney called Blue Whale, What is the Truth Behind an Online Suicide Challenge? And a Forbes article by Andrew Rosso called Cyberbullying Taken to a Whole New Level, Enter the Blue Whale Challenge. So allegedly this started in Russia, then picked up some traction in India, Ukraine, and then the United States. On November 22nd, 2015, a Russian teenager named Rina Pelenkova posted a selfie where she was sticking her middle finger up and it appears to be covered in dried blood. The following day, she committed suicide. A month later on Christmas Day, Angelina Davidoa, a 12-year-old girl in Ryzan, Russia, took her own life. Then two weeks later, Diana Kuzintos Kuznetsova. I'm really sorry. I cannot I mean, pronounce any Russian names. I don't think anyone's going to blame <laughs> me for that one. Um, a teenager from the same city ended her life. And as the parents were combing through their social media accounts, they found that these girls belonged to similar online groups. And these groups were posting drawings of Rina, the, the first girl who took her life in November. And had a lot of chat about suicide and mentions of blue whales. Then in May of 2016, the national conversation all throughout Russia became about suicide and blue whales because of an article by another Russian name, Galina Merselevia, in the Novaya Gazeta, which is an investigative (laughs) newspaper in Russia. Um, Marissa Livia found that in these chat rooms on Russia's most popular social network called Vakontat... Golly. Okay, it's called Vkontakte, but it's also abbreviated VK, so we're just going to go VK, all right? I like it. I like it. Uh, Russia, why do you have to be so hard? Facebook, okay? (laughs) Um, So yeah, on... On VK, there existed this game that gave its participants 50 challenges to do over 50 days, with the last one being to take your own life. And in her report, she estimated that around 130 children and teens had committed suicide between November 2015 and April 2016. And That's this, a lot. It is a lot. Um, the BBC article that I read was did call that number into question. Okay. And I will get into this later about like how – the it's hard to find proof that this is why these kids committed suicide. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this article just caused considerable alarm in Russia. And it even caused the governor in Western Russia, I'm not going to try to pronounce the town name or the city name, yeah. but uh, 
He even went on TV to compare the Blue Whale Challenge to the Islamic State. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, so this panic then began to spread outside of Russia when a 16-year-old girl in Georgia, USA, killed herself. And her parents discovered, and this could just be irony at its worst, but her parents discovered that in school she was painting pictures of blue whales. Interesting. Um, and to me, that almost kind of sounds like they're just trying to connect dots to try to figure out why she committed suicide. Yeah. I mean, like, suicide yeah. is such a hard thing for anybody to try to cope with and understand why somebody would take their own life. So Yeah, I think- especially when it's, like, your child. You just start, like, grasping at struggle. You'll grasp at anything to blame because it's, like, you can't blame yourself, can't blame your kid. you got to find some sort of external source. Right, and so I think it's, it's almost like a – I don't want to say it's comforting to – to associate that with it, but it's kind of like... I would agree. It's like a coping mechanism. Yeah. There we go. Um, Then came other suicides. So a boy named Isaiah Gonzalez, also in the United States. Um, There was a 19-year-old in India, two more Russian girls, and a few days before one of the Russian girls died, her name was Yulia Konstantinova. She posted an image of a blue whale on her Instagram account. So despite all of the press that this was getting, the panic it ensued throughout Russia, there's yet to be one suicide that is proven to be the result of this challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a list of the 50 tasks out there that I was able to find just because a lot of people have done this and not committed suicide and Mm -hmm. that list exists. A mother and her daughter even appeared on The Doctors to discuss how deep her doctor was into it and how, like, her mom saved her from going the full 50 days. And um, I even read an article in Egypt Today that discussed seeing the blue whale carved into suicide victims' arms. So there is some evidence that points towards it, but it's still hard to identify, like, whether or not they kill themselves solely because of this challenge. Yeah, I mean, like, I think on any anybody who would say that there's obviously other forces at play here. I mean, you you have a, other I'm, mental instabilities, I'm sure, if you're getting to this point and your heart, you can't rationalize it. Well, that's the fucked up thing is these kids who would be in these chat rooms would go in there because they wanted to talk about their depression. So it's like <sighs> they were already vulnerable going in there. And then so when you have a really fucked up individual who goes in there and sees that and preys upon that, then that is where this really gets out of hand. For no uh, particular reason, like what this like kind of reminds me of, remember when we were in college and we like found those like pro-Anna and pro- Pro-Mia. Pro-Mia. Yeah, so they were like yeah. pro-anorexia and pro-bulimia like platforms where people online would like give each other tips on how to starve themselves and to like, successfully hide the fact that they vomited up all of their food. And just make them feel like an even shittier human being. Totally. Like they, people would like post pictures of themselves and they're like sickly and people would call them fat. It was, it, I'm, I like, I'm traumatized from that. Me too. It was awful. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. awful. It was like, it was body dysmorphia at its like worst. It was so sad. The internet is truly a scary place for people if you aren't having any kind of mental illness as far as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, mm-hmm. anything like that because mm-hmm. you're putting yourself out there and not necessarily for the best audience. Yeah, exactly. Because not everybody has your best intentions in mind. So um, I think it's highly possible that this game – could have existed with a couple of really awful people behind it. But then, like, after mass panic started to spread throughout Russia, again, just really shitty people could have just gotten this idea, like, let's go into these online chat rooms and just start trolling the people that are in there. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's very possible that this did have truth in its origin, just like a lot of these stories, but then just kind of gets blown out of proportion by trolls or whatever else. Um, Yeah. There's another challenge that was very similar to this one called the Momo Challenge, and this was around the I same time. I remember this. It's so creepy. Yeah. Oh, so my there's gosh. Like this uh, statue. It's a Japanese statue made by an artist. It looks like the girl from The Ring and 
Michael Jackson had a baby. And like, then it was like put on bird legs. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's very creepy looking and its face was everywhere. And um, it, it, so it started off in a very similar way to the Blue Whale Challenge where teens would be texted through WhatsApp and given similar challenges and ultimately commit suicide. But earlier this year, 2019, it had a second wave. Apparently, Momo, this weird statue creature thing, was appearing in videos on YouTube, specifically in videos about Fortnite or Peppa Pig, just like things that children would watch. And so it's the videos would start with kid-friendly content, and then Momo would appear alongside disturbing images. And, um, oh, by the way, all this stuff about Momo is from uh, Philip DeFranco on YouTube. Look him up. He's awesome. So someone posted a warning about this on Facebook and like all moms on social media, it was shared over and over and over where like little to no research was being conducted by the people who were sharing it, saying that like Momo was coming back and like interrupting kid programming and telling them to go like harm themselves or harm their families, anything like that. That's what people were saying. But what was the real story? YouTube had to release a statement on Twitter this year saying, we want to clear something up regarding the Momo challenge. We've seen no recent evidence of videos promoting the Momo challenge on YouTube. Videos encouraging harmful and dangerous challenges are against our policies. Then a YouTube spokesman even gave a statement to CBS News saying, our community guidelines prohibit harmful and dangerous challenges, including promoting the Momo challenge, and we remove this content quickly when flagged to us. And even schools and police forces had to release statements with, like, just an example, Police Service of Northern Ireland said, our advice as always is to supervise the games your kids play and be extremely mindful of the videos they are watching on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So, because social media is social media, People still continue to spread this story, even after it was made aware that, like, this second coming of Momo was a hoax. Like, there was – there were no videos that this was found in. Mm-hmm. YouTube even saying that it would be impossible for anybody to, like, hack into an episode of Peppa Pig and, like, put this out there. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So it was a hoax. And there were so many news sources out there that said that it was a hoax, yet – People were still sharing this information and spreading it on social media, saying that this was a real thing and, like, causing all this panic. And my favorite trash human, Kim Kardashian, being one of those people, (laughs) she made a post pleading YouTube to help. This was well after their statement was made. (laughs) So someone please teach Kim Kardashian how to use Google, and hopefully this is something they cover in law school. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that's the Momo challenge, and it, it ultimately started off with some bad people who could have had a hand in suicides in a similar manner to the Blue Whale challenge, but the mass panic around it this time was a hoax, and that was perpetuated by fake news on social media, and ultimately people not doing their own research before sharing a post. So yeah, um, that's the Blue Whale Challenge. I do want to state that even though I use what many people would consider to be reputable sources, which is Forbes and the BBC, that there is still a healthy amount of speculation regarding how deep this challenge actually went, which kind of seems to be the same with a lot of moral panics out there. Um, one thing I do want to address that is 100% factual and should have us panicking as much as Ebola did Youth suicide rates are at an extreme high, and social media does play a huge role in that. Like, it doesn't have to be some stranger in a chat room pretending to be Momo or whatever. Like, 99% of the time, it's not a stranger. It's people that they actually know. It's cyberbullying. It's general feelings of inadequacy. So um, I'm going to say this here now, but I'm also going to put it in our show notes. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline Um, They are there to help you. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. And because you guys are like Generation Z, Millennials, whatever, they have a text line too. So just text TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. And yeah. Thank you for that. Of course. Yeah, that's always, it's just like so scary to think 
I mean, it's true. It's like the real problem isn't really being addressed. It's just like these sensationalized, you know, newsworthy slash like almost blockbuster worthy incidents are mm-hmm. being sensationalized rather than like the actual, you know, epidemic. Right. It's like they're worrying about the chat rooms, but we should actually be worrying about why our kids are in the chat rooms in the first place talking about depression. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So yeah, but I mean, mental health is always going to be in the background of political conversations until we change something. So exactly, that's just our unfortunate reality. Mm-hmm. Especially just like with social media and the, all of us putting out there our you know, our triumphs, but never our failures. So everybody else feels like a failure. So, I mean, okay, since that story and the satanic panic was such a bummer, we're going to end this on a more cheerful note. We have some panic stories for you. Yeah. Mine have just been, like, said to me. So I'm just going to be doing, like, a really poor reiteration of it. I don't have, like, a cool email that I can read from, but... Yeah, same here. So, our friend, Biz, shout out. She actually told me that she likes getting shouted out on here, which is hysterical. <laughs> so, our friend, Biz, grew up in this super wonderful family. They're awesome. They're nothing but, like, welcoming and giving to all of us. We love them very much. They're, like, the picturesque American family minus the they golden are. retriever. Exactly. For some reason, they've never had a dog, but they they are like the nuclear family of yesteryear. <laughs> and and their father, he, I mean, he's an incredibly smart man. He like was a pharmacist, and then he actually worked in pharmaceutical sales for a long time. They own lots of properties, blah, blah, blah. He, he has a little bit of a weird quirk where he refuses to eat beef. Why is that, Paige? <laughs> and that is because he is afraid of mad cow disease. <laughs> and I just, like, I, I get it. Like, I, I suppose, like, you you just take that, no matter how, like, minor the likelihood is, if you just completely take it out of your life, you don't have to worry about it ever. But you're just missing out on so much. Mm-hmm. So think, like, he's never... He's never chowing down on some, like, filet mignon or a burger. Like, it's insane. And so he's afraid of mad cow disease. <laughs> um, growing up, they weren't allowed to eat beef either, but their mom was a little bit more sympathetic to this, so she would sneak them through the McDonald's drive-thru on occasion. So shout out to Nancy. She gets it. And JP, if you're listening to this and you still didn't know that, yeah, apologies. <laughs> This is where all the dirty secrets come out. Uh, but yeah, it's hysterical. They do, like, we literally call their family, they, they, we call it, they're like quirks, we call it Pavlich paranoia. They, they operate on the rather safe than sorry thing, and I operate on the, like, still gonna send it, <laughs> I don't fear life thing. <laughs> we have opposing ideologies, but they work together. <laughs> they do. I remember in college, Biz would not get gel manicures with us because... Her mom said that the light would give <laughs> her cancer. cancer. Which, I mean, <laughs> it, truthfully, it is a UV light. So, yes, if you spent enough time underneath a UV light, that could happen. <laughs> but I don't think 30 seconds of dry time would attribute yeah. that. But she does have that that pale, ginger, fragile skin that she I takes do. very good care of. She so. does. Um, they also, I mean, we talked about this before, but they were just like your parents where they wouldn't fly on the same plane back when they were kids. They would fly on separate airplanes unless they were like all together. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what else was part of Pavlish Paranoia. Oh, measuring hands. Oh yeah. That's more of like an old Irish, like wives tale is that if you measure hands, you'll die. Right. Or someone you love will die. Mm hmm. Yeah, so they never measure hands with people. But, you know, like, I feel like I have a memory of Biz measuring hands with me, but I just might be making that up. Who knows? But I'm pretty, I've am i definitely heard JJ say that, which is hysterical because her twin brother is 6'8". So he's definitely someone you'd want to measure hands with. But, yeah, that's another weird Pavlich quirk. What do you think? Thank you, Pavs. Yeah. Um, so Maggie, my, mm-hmm. like, near and dear cousin we're like best friends she was my maid of honor her mom and my mom are sisters and her mom definitely 
has so many paranoias, so many, so much more than my mom had. I think that's just like what happens when you're the oldest sibling. I was going to say, is she older? Yeah. Yeah. So Maggie, similarly to the Pavliches, she, her mom would not let her eat beef, but only for a year. It was like right after the mad cow disease panic came back. So for a whole year, they didn't eat beef. Um, okay. Her mom wouldn't let her walk outside barefoot ever because she was afraid that she was going to step on a wasp. I'm like, what? Just <laughs> pesky wasps just, you know, hanging, hanging out, out on, on the pavement. Feet. Yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. Like, it's yeah. not like she's afraid of broken glass. It's rather specific. It's wasps. Broken glass was in there, but I, I okay. understood that one, so I took it out. It was like the wasp one was okay. the one that was like, ah, Okay. Um, and then also a lot of superstitions as well. Like her mom would always be throwing salt over her left shoulder, like if she spilled it, but went as far to throw salt over her shoulder if she just thought she spilled salt. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a symptom of OCD, but here we are. (laughs) I mean, I, I wouldn't diagnose her with that, but I also would. (laughs) (laughs) Like mild. Shout out Leslie. Some Um, spectrum. Also, I haven't heard this one before, but that it's bad luck to put shoes on a bed. So even like it's filthy, but not bad luck. (laughs) Okay, that but she said even new shoes. And this is the one that gets me that like if you come home with a box of new shoes, you cannot put that box of shoes on the bed. (laughs) It's so bizarre. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, to each their own. You have another one, right? Yes, so I'm not gonna name her name just because there's like kind. It's not like a trigger warning, but it's like kind of strange. So another one of our friends, she is of Greek ethnicity. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. heritage. Her. There you go. She's very Greek. Yes, like family's Greek Orthodox. Very involved in the Greek community. Um, and growing up, she wasn't allowed to hang out and have sleepovers with non-Greek girls. Um, (laughs) so wild. I know. I'm like, if anything, it's just like rather xenophobic and not like mass panic. But I think like her, like parents are under the impression that they were bad influences. And of course, the one time that she did, she... Uh, went and like it was in high school. She had a sleepover with like non Greek girls from school, and she went and like TP'd a house. And you know, oh lord. And so she TP'd a house, and then her mom told her like she was not allowed to hang out with non Greek girls after that. And so she lives with us now, and none of us are Greek. And she like does have she has like her whole other separate like group of Greek friends. And it's honestly like as a culture in general, it's interest. They're like rather. You know, they're not, I don't know if xenophobic or that, like they're kind of like non-familial incestuous. I don't know. <laughs> but they, it's not that they like don't like us and it's not that they're like not polite, but it's definitely, it's it's different. Like they definitely like view our friendship with her differently. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. But yeah, so that's, that's our other, I don't know, mass panic. Moral panic. I don't know. <laughs> I'd say it's more on the moral side. Yeah. I don't know. My dad had yeah. a funny story um, about Y2K. Yeah. So uh, my dad was running the Sheridan Hotel downtown Denver. Uh-huh. And yep. this was New Year's Eve 1999. Like this was the year that Y2K was like the world was going to end once mm-hmm. midnight came around. It was the year 2000. So at the Sheridan, they have this huge New Year's Eve party. And 30 minutes before midnight, all of the pipes burst in the hotel and it started (gasps) to flood. No! Yeah. And um, basically, there was this mass panic because they all thought it had to do with Y2K and like all the hype that was going into just like all of these systems failing once midnight came around. So everyone thought that that was attributed to that it was not it was uh the pipes froze it was winter time <laughs> it was just burst. a coincidence yeah <laughs> that is so funny i feel like i mean like a lot most people would feel that way yeah mm-hmm. i definitely the would it's going down that would 100 percent be like where my mind goes 
For sure. Like, I think, I mean, this is kind of a morbid story, but, like, when we were in Barcelona, we went to Barcelona, like, two weeks after there was a terrorist attack there, and everyone was telling us not to go. But, of course, like, when we're in Barcelona is when, like, that mass shooting happened in Vegas. So it's honestly, like, these things literally can happen in your own backyard, and it doesn't really matter where in the world you are. But we were walking down uh, Las Ramblas, and there was, like, really, really loud noise, just, like, one right after the other. And I think you and I just looked at each other, like, we're about to, like, duck for cover, just because, like, you associate things, like, these loud Well, that's where it had happened, was at Las Ramblas. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, that's, like, immediately where your mind goes. You're like, oh, no, not again. Right. So you just think, like, oh, like, you know, all this hype is in your mind, like, these things to panic about, and then... Sorry, dogs barking again. But um, yeah, so like you think that you have to, like, you're just on red alert about these things because of these mass panics and the news that spread. And so then when something happens, it's automatically where your mind goes. Yeah, exactly. It's like a contributing factor. Like, you're not, you don't like think of yourself as like afraid of it happening. But like once like the, the, the thought, like, creeps into your mind that it could be happening. Suddenly, it is serious mass panic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, that's uh, our episode on mass panics. Yeah. And the dogs are having a mass panic in the background right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep that in. So, what's our next episode going to be? Um, We are going to do an episode on nuclear meltdowns. Yes. Um, Yeah. So tell us about your nuclear meltdown. No, just kidding. (laughs) Tell us about like your weird cancers and your extra limbs. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Are you a Chernobyl baby? (laughs) (laughs) We really struggled coming up with an audience question on this one for obvious reasons. So honestly, Mm -hmm. like... Just send us disaster stories. Like, you're, yeah. it doesn't have to be a nuclear disaster. Just send us, like, a wedding disaster story or yeah, natural disaster like story. Anything like that. I think we'll just have fun reading them. Yeah, exactly. It'll be, like, a little bit of lightheartedness before you get into, like, the horrifying things that occurred at, like, Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah, or something refreshing afterwards. We don't know where we're putting these yet. I always just, like, think they're going at the top, and then Annika's like, no, bitch, they're at the bottom. I think and it just I'm depends like, on the episode right. and how we're feeling, you know? If the things that they're writing in about are horrific, then maybe they should go at the beginning so that the story that we then tell could maybe lighten it up, but we'll see. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> All right, well, All thank right. you so much for listening. Um, please go follow us on Instagram at Interesting Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Spotify, whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Yeah. Just, you know, support your girls. Support us, please, please, please. And if you can, leave us a review on um, on Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. It would really help us out. And tell your friends. Tell all and of your, your friends. Moms. And the people who have told their friends. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get kicked out of the lady gang because every single time somebody posts about having a new podcast, I, like, self-promote, which is against the <laughs> rules. But whatever. Hasn't happened yet. And it's always about things like, I need a motivational podcast. And Paige goes in there, no. interesting podcast. And I'm like, we're not motivational in the no. slightest. But I'll, I'll like it. <laughs> exactly. But we're not demotivational, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about perspective in the end. Well, thank you so much, guys. And as always, keep it interesting. Yeah. Love you, people. Love you. Bye. Bye.